This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome back to Mike and Maurice's Mind Escape. Let us help you escape your mind. Folks, welcome back to Mike and Maurice's Mind Escape. We have episode number 4.1 today. Uh, we're going to be continuing our Mysteries and Metaphysics series. Uh, 4.1, we are going to focus on megalithic structures, specifically uh, Gobekli Tepe and Easter Island. That's why it's 4.1, because it'll probably be a 4.2, 4.3, maybe even a 4.4 for lucky. Um, but uh, yeah, so I made a slideshow for this so if you're listening on an audio platform please check out our youtube channel and if you are watching our youtube channel thank you and also check us out on audio platforms so uh before we get started here head on over to patreon at patreon.com slash mind escape podcast for just two dollars a month you get exclusive guest episodes and segments again keep saying the same thing uh, if you listen to our show and you like it for just $2 a month, there's basically a whole other show on our Patreon for you, a bunch of uh, guests that we've had on the show doing extra segments and episodes and stuff. So check that out. And uh, we are also on Discord, so come say hello on Discord. Um, and also head on over to indrasweb.org. Indra's Web is the social media platform that we created to connect open minds and discuss the things that we talk about on this podcast uh, so if you're looking for a place without any sort of, uh, um, you know, people just completely speculating without any sort of knowledge or any background knowledge, head on over to Indra's because uh, we've got some good chats going on there. And uh, welcome back, Maurice. Thank you, sir. How's everything? Yeah, it was good. You know, we got a couple in while you were gone with uh, buddy Trent, but uh Yeah. It's uh, good to have you back and uh, looking to dive into this uh, 4.1. Thanks, brother. Yeah, it was uh, interesting. I was down in Florida and I popped, I got a notification. Mike and Maurice is live. <laughs> Pop that back. With my new co host. Bye bye, Maurice. Make sure I still had a job, you know? <laughs> um, well, if this is your job, then we're all in trouble. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, but yeah, it's. Uh, like I said, we're going to get back into the swing of things here. I've already lined up a bunch of new guests for the next couple months, so uh, we should be good. But uh, yeah, we're going to focus on Gobekli Tepe and Easter Island, two of the more, I don't know, I think we've discussed Easter Island a ton, same thing with Gobekli Tepe. Uh, so I just put a little slideshow together to kind of go over what we've gone through to this point, which I will pull up here. Um. As far as Gobekli Tepe goes, I think for us, this is when we first started get, getting into the podcast thing, you know, as far as where we were when we started to where we are now, 
I think Gobekli Tepe was always this one that was like, you know, this is the most fascinating one. It's the oldest megalithic structure, and it's also the most mysterious. And even the people that are ex excavating and, you know, working on it and everything, they're even puzzled by some of the things. So it's definitely one of the more interesting sites. Yeah. Um, so Gobekli Tepe means Potbelly Hill. Uh, and it is a Neolithic archaeological site in southeastern Anatolia in Turkey. It is dated to roughly 12,000 years ago or 9600 BC. Uh, the site was discovered in 1963 by the University of Chicago, but it was not excavated because it was mistaken for a grave site. So it's kind of a, a big, uh, I don't even know if it's a mistake, but, you know, they over definitely overlooked, you know. Absolutely. Um, and then in 1994, Klaus Schmidt comes along, who's working at uh, a different nearby site and decided to take another look at Gobekli Tepe. And after talking with local farmers, combined with knowledge of the other local sites uh, in the area, uh, he thought that these were not uh, grave markers, but they were the tops of these megalithic structures and they began to excavate. Uh, and he worked on the site until his death in 2014. Um some of the animals featured on the T-pillars are snakes, foxes, vultures, boars, oryx, uh, Asiatic wild donkeys, uh, lions, leopards, cranes, uh, among other animals and symbols. Some of them, they're kind of more ambiguous too. Like they don't know for sure what animal it is, only kind of what animal it is. So uh, as you see, we'll go through some of the T-pillars here. Um, so here's just kind of like an overhead, um, look here again, 9,600 BC. So that's a long time ago. Um, I think when you look at ancient Egypt and ancient, you know, you know, the Sumerian or Mesopotamia and, uh, ancient Acadia and all those sites, um, it kind of, Again, this is very intriguing because it's so much older than anything else. Um, and I think that when you look at um, the pyramids and it's those were so long ago, you know, like let's say you think that, uh, you know, the pyramids are the uh, according to the mainstream ac academic dating that they go back to, um, you know, let's just say 4,500 between 4,500 and 5,000 years ago. Because, you, you know, some of the alternative theories push it back even further. But let's just say 4,500 right. in between 4,500 and 5,000 years ago. Uh, that's a long time ago. Now go back even further and you go back 12,000 years. I mean, that's just crazy that there was. So so this was something that stood out through throughout our history or, through, you know, since it's been discovered as being like a history changer. Absolutely. Um but I mean, I mean, what do you think about? Because I know when we first started, you probably kind of had a different view of Gobekli Tepe and what it was and what it could be, kind of a thing to what it is now. So, what do you think about it? Yeah, when when we started, I didn't even I didn't re I've heard of it. Well, first of all, let's get this out of the way. I I couldn't barely even say the word. <laughs> but uh, you know, I obviously I think a lot of people have heard of it, but right. you don't really realize how far how old it actually is. And then when you compare it to different things like the pyramids, then you really can see 
how far or how old this thing actually is, but I didn't know anything about it. I didn't even, I didn't know it was in Turkey. Again, I think a lot of people have heard it in passing or with TV shows and things like that. You've said that you've heard it on multiple shows on Discovery and things. That, that, yeah. that actually kind of got you into it, right? Yeah, I mean, it's been on a lot of different shows now at this point, and uh, even something as crazy as like a Ancient Aliens, which we've discussed many times, I don't believe extraterrestrials right. built anything on this earth i think it's all human uh ingenuity and create you know being creative and everything um i you know still shows like that that show the sites and get the information out there make somebody that's watching that maybe even want to look into it further then they realize okay why would something traversing the galaxy or the stars build something like this here you know it just doesn't really make sense so yeah it's pretty crude it's not but it's it's not it's not crude for what we can do for that time but it's crude in the sense that if you can build a spaceship that can go anywhere and do anything and manipulate gravity and time why would you you know build that that well that's no it's unbelievable if you can do it with just like if these people were hunter gatherers or whatever they may be that's unbelievable but if you're traversing galaxies then yes that it's not the best artwork right um so yeah so i think that uh i don't know like i said and i thought initially because this is kind of a look back at what we thought going into where we are now i thought it was a lot more mysterious a lot more mystical maybe there could have been something more uh metaphysical connected to it not that i don't believe in like some sort of inspiration, whether it's the stars or some sort of spirituality or whatever. I definitely think that that's possible, but I just don't think that, uh, I don't think about it in the same way as I did going in, if that makes sense. Yeah. Which is cool in a way, but it's also a little bit of a, I think when we got into a lot of these things, we were very, there's a lot of mystic, mystic, mysterious things surrounding them. And then when you start researching it more and more, it kind of loses its luster in that regard. Right. And that goes for a lot of things when, and and if you look at our show, like it's, we've changed so much and it's like, I want to look at the academic versions of things. And I also want to look at the alternative versions of things. And I want to deduct my own theories and hypotheses from, from, from that. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, when you start looking at the origins of things and what academics have to say and what the alternative people have to say, you know, you start to develop your own kind of picture where I do think there's a lot of mystery out there still. And I think that a lot of these sites and places are mysterious. Um, again, I don't think about it in the same way as complete, you know, mystery or mysticism. Cause I feel like going in, I was just looking at things just through that lens. And I think if you're looking at trying to figure out the nature of reality or truth, it's easy to just start believing in things or connecting the dots and you've got pareidolia of the brain and you just start connecting all these things. And if you're only looking at mystical texts, well, that's what you'll get out of it. If you want to look at the full picture of things, I think you start to develop a um, more of a bird's eye view on how these things look and work. Yeah, most of the stuff that we've looked into kind of has lost its mysterious luster, if you will, but ufos and things like that it it almost makes it more credible because those have actually gained more uh more credibility so it's like it 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 almost intrigues you more because it's getting some 
some real uh, acknowledgement from some higher ups, if you will. Well, that we'll do that in a later part of this series. Talk about the whole UFO UAP thing, because yeah, it has been in the news a lot lately. I mean, even some of the mainstream news outlets have picked it up now, and um, I guess we'll see what happens with that. Um, yeah. But yeah, in terms, I think this is completely separate, in my opinion. Like I said, if you want to talk about some sort of spiritual or inspiration, the stars or whatever, some metaphysical inspiration, that's I think that's a different story. But when you start talking about like this, you know, people built it from this planet or galaxy. Like, hey, you get your, you know, have you really looked into things? I don't think so. So, um, but uh, yeah, and to to the, my point earlier, though, is once you start looking at the origin of things and looking into the origins of things, things do li- like lose some of its mystery. That's not necessarily a bad thing. It just means that you're doing your research, and maybe some things you thought going in were more mysterious but maybe they're not as mysterious but maybe then it helps you realize what the true mysteries are right so i mean that's kind of where i'm at right now um but uh yeah i mean i know you are kind of a little bit more spiritually uh you're more into the spiritual stuff right now which i you know i feel like we're on different paths in terms of when I started I felt like I was more of where you are now and you were just kind of in a completely different zone before now you're where I was and I'm kind of somewhere else and I guess we'll see where it goes from here yeah you know we can continuously grow and change and you have to embrace that absolutely um so yeah we discussed I think a little bit on one of the other episodes in the series like the possible builders we've discussed the hunter gatherer uh hypothesis which is that hunter gatherers in the area uh kind of came together and were kind of half in the hunter gatherer half in the you know beginning of civilization kind of a transition kind of a thing mm-hmm. and that's kind of i think what the mainstream uh is saying too um now in terms of alternative stuff Okay, so let's say mainstream stuff, there's, uh, I think this person's, it's an archaeologist, Jens Nor something, and uh, they've got a, um, a website, it's called the TP Telegrams, or the Tepe Telegrams, I'm sorry, and the Tepe Telegrams have like a lot of the more mainstream information on there. Uh, as far as alternative stuff, we've had a lot of guests on, discussed, you know, we've had Laird Scranton, we've had Martin Sweatman, we've had uh, Dr. Gregory Little... Uh, Andrew Collins. Um, I mean, I'm sure we've had a lot more, but we've had a ton of people on to discuss uh, this specific site. And I think that when you look at what they have to say about it, it's not completely out of the realm of possibility either. I think some of the stuff's a stretch in certain areas, but I think that some of the other stuff is interesting. Like Gobekli, like Martin Sweatman's whole thing is, Gobekli Tepe is connected, you know, to the stars. Like there's a lot of archaeoastronomy um, going on there. And then mm-hmm. the mainstream people would argue against that, saying that there is no connection to the stars yet, or at least ones that they've found. And I think that they even produced a paper to kind of rebut uh, Martin Sweatman's hypothesis. So, um, but again, if you're interested in that stuff, you can listen to one of our past episodes or, you know, they've all written books on it. Laird Scranton, Point of Origin, Martin Sweatman, uh, Prehistory Decoded, uh, you know, Andrew Collins has written a few books on the subject, you know, so the list goes on. You can really dive into that stuff if you like the alternative aspects of these things. Um, all right, so let's get here, back here. 
Um, here's kind of like an overhead view. There's four enclosures. Now, there's enclosure A, B, C, and D. I think C and D have the most T-pillars out of all of the four. Um, and I also, like, there's... I, I was looking on the internet, like, how much of it's been excavated? Because there's a lot of people saying, oh, it's 15% excavated so far. It's 5%. Everything I looked up kept saying 5%, so maybe it is 15%, maybe it's 5%, but they, you know, they use ground penetrating radar to figure that out, and it might be something that's just, you know, going to be excavated for a long time, slowly, kind of a thing. Yeah. I know, and even some of the pictures, some of the T-pillars that are completely uncovered were covered in some of the pictures that I found, so um, they are working on it, but I, I don't know what, what kind of pace. You got to go slow yeah or else it will crumble yeah i mean they are pretty you know they have wires hang you know uh holding some of them up and i know you know it's those t-pillars that there some of them are not the most sturdy and a lot of them are falling apart or have broken pieces and stuff too so yeah you don't want to be the guy that, that that does that and then i know that they're trying to build like an enclosure to like protect it you know like from the elements and stuff too so um but, uh, yeah, let's see here. Let's go to the next one. Here's another kind of like an overheadish view. Um, as you can see, again, they have these different enclosures where you see these like little circles or circular enclosures with the T-pillars around them. Okay, so some of them I was able to find some clear pictures of some of the T-pillars so you can kind of see what's on some of them. Uh, pillar number two, um, I believe that's an auroch, uh, which is like a, an extinct type of a bull or a bull mm. type of a bull that's gone extinct. Um, and then you have a fox underneath it. And then I don't know what that thing is at the bottom, to be honest with you. Can't really see that clear. Um, Let's see here. Okay, so pillar 37 is on the left, and you see the fox there at the top. The fox is actually kind of the, one of the more prevalent um, animals found on the T-pillars. It's found a lot. And uh, there's also an anthropomorphic T-pillar, which we'll, I'll show in a couple minutes, that there's like a fox pouch or a fox skin uh, around the part of it, like a almost like a belt. Um and then on the right, you have T-pillar 27, which is, it's like a predator with a prey, which the prey looks like to be a boar, a wild boar. The predator, I don't know what that is. I think that's either, I think it might be some sort of cat, maybe like a leopard or, um, I don't know. It looks like a hybrid between some, like a leopard and like an alligator or something. But, uh, so it's known as the predator and prey though, cause you can see, the distinct relief carving of the predator sticking out really far. And then you have the prey there, which does not stick out that far, which is the boar underneath it. Um, I don't know if you said this, how long have they been excavating? They've been excavating it. Excavating? <laughs> uh, they've been excavating since 1994. So it's been a while. Yeah. Here we have pillar 12, you see those birds lined up there at the top. Um, in terms of, uh, that one's not a great picture because there's just not a lot to look at there. So we'll go on to the next one. 
Here's a better look at pillar 27 where you have the, um, again, the predator with the prey underneath. The predator really stands out from, you know, as the relief carving. And then you have the prey, which would be the wild boar underneath it. Um, as far as, okay, so back to the fox though, which is on the right, you can kind of see just a portion of it at the top. Um, the fox is again found on, you know, on all these T pillars and actually Laird Scranton, one of the episodes that we did with him, he had a picture of a, a Dogon, which is the tribe from uh, Western Africa, uh, which he's written a few books on. Um, the, the Dogon have this like altar carving with like a Fox that looks exactly the same. And I'm not, maybe that's just how people were depicting Foxes, but I, th I think it's, couldn't can't really be a coincidence in that sense because they look very very similar and I don't know what the connection would be maybe it's just like an origin things how there's similar looking things across different cultures but it, it they do look very very similar yeah there you can see one of those wires I was talking about at the top hanging or uh, holding these T pillars up so you have pillar 33 uh, and you can see I think those are cranes there um, at the bottom, I, don't, I think I don't know if those squiggly ends uh, are meant to be snakes. I think I don't know. Um, that one's very hard to see, but but you can yeah you can see you're you're saying how do you hold these things up? You do see that wire there at the top holding up the T pillar. Yeah, that'd be sweet to see a time lapse of these people working down there. Yeah. So here you have pillar nine. Again, the fox, very prevalent. Um, and again, that looks a lot like the Dogon fox as well. So again, I don't know if there's a specific connection, but um, it does look very similar. So now you have pillar 43. Um, I don't know if that's uh, another fox above there. I can't really tell. Uh, but you have like the wild boar underneath. Is that a fox up there? Is that a auroch or a bull? Huh. Um. Anyways, but uh, yeah, you can see that a lot of these are relief carvings, which is actually pretty hard to do. So when you start carving it, you know, it's easy to mess up, but it would be very hard to get some of these details down too, which they actually did a pretty good job of. Lots of time, lots of effort. So here you have pillar 18. So this is the anthropomorphic one. You can see the hands um, around the hip, kind of a th where the hip would be at the top there. And then you have this like belt with these patterns, these H-like patterns uh, and symbols. And then you have the, uh, the fox pelt or skin hanging down, uh, which would probably be some sort of like loincloth or something like that. Uh, oddly enough, though... Um, if you were going to start talking about like entheogens and um, possible entheogenic connections, they have found uh, fox snout pouches and fox pouches in South America that have contained, you know, DMT, uh, harmine, uh, bufotenine, uh, you know, all those psycho uh, psychedelic and psychoactive compounds. So I know mm -hmm. there has been speculation around possible entheogenic use or maybe it was part of a ritual or 
uh, something like that in connection with Gobekli Tepe. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, so Pillar 51. Now, I don't know if this is, this is almost looks like it could be like a lion. I think that's what they, they it is a lion, or it could be a uh, leopard. Um, I think it looks more like a lion, but. Uh, so in terms of uh, what do you think? Do you think that that looks more like a lion? Oh man, that could be. What's the choices, lion or <laughs> or leopard? <laughs> I don't know. Uh oh. I'd say I'd say lion. Um. Yeah. I mean, the the only thing is, is uh, were there lion? I mean, there was even the an American lion. Uh, pre or at the, towards the end of the ice age before all the megafauna got wiped out, you know, whether you think it was gradual or you believe in the younger dry impact hypothesis, which definitely plays into this. If you're starting to talk about some of the more alternative theories like the Martin Sweatman stuff or, um, you know, the Andrew Collins and Dr. Gregory Little stuff, you know, the idea that there was a comet that broke up, uh, roughly, um, you know, or at the end of the last ice age, you know, during the younger Dryas uh, period that caused a lot of the flooding and shifts and uh, everything. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I don't know. There definitely was an American lion. I mean, I, I, it wouldn't be out of the realm to think that there was lions. I mean, there's Sumerians are depicted with lions as well. Um, and, uh, yeah, so... So this is probably the most famous T-pillar out of all of them. Uh, this is pillar 43. Uh, it's called the Vulture Stone. And as you can see, you have those three ancient handbags up top. Uh, and then underneath you have the vulture with what looks like a ball. Some speculate, you know, comets. Some speculate the sun or the moon. Um, lots of speculations. Um but that is the most famous one. Uh, I know Graham Hancock talks a lot about that and, uh, it's a big part of magicians of the gods, his book. And, um, again, a lot of the, the alternative ones point to the vulture stone as being kind of like, uh, like here's a depiction of how things went wrong or this is, you know, there was a comet or an asteroid, you know, kind of a thing and yeah, wiped everything out. So, So the vultures, that's what I wanted to point out too. The vulture stone's completely uncovered now. Even that bottom part that you can see that's covered with stones is no longer covered. So this is this must be pre-part of the excavation. Um, and then on the front, on the side there, you see some other stuff as well. I want to say, is that a... 
I don't know what that is on the front. Is that a scorpion? I don't know. Yeah, I think it, it might be. Um, but yeah, so you have the vultures there with its like wing extended out. Um, I know the handbag thing's weird. We've talked about that a lot in terms of what could these ancient handbags be. Um, recently, I've been actually going back and forth with our one of our previous guests, Chris Bennett, and uh, a lot of the handbags associated with the ancient Sumerians and like the tree of life and everything definitely look like it could be some sort of cannabis and canvas uh, connection. So like they could have been making these canvas bags, some sort of connection with hemp and cannabis possibly. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's definitely, and I know actually even Graham Hancock's put the theory out there in terms of, uh, entheogenic, you know, maybe carrying some sort of entheogens or some sort of ceremonial thing, something like that. So, all right. So that was Gobekli Tepe. Again, I just wanted to go, you know, through what we've kind of talked about at different different points and different episodes and different guests that we've had in terms of my personal views on Gobekli Tepe. I think that there's a lot more that needs to be done in terms of, uh, excavations and everything. But later on in this, maybe 4.2 or 4.3, I do hit, there's a a statue that was found at Gobekli Tepe called Urfa man. And it's very similar to some other regional, um, uh, figurines that that show up later in, in history. So again, I don't know how something could look so similar from some, you know, something that's one to 2000 BC looks so similar to something that's 12,000, uh, or 9,600 BC. It's, it's kind of crazy, but, uh, I'll be bringing those up later on and showing you connections between cultures and sites and things like that. So, mm. Any final in inputs or insights on uh, Gobekli Tepe? No, I enjoyed seeing some of these pictures up close, though. I like that. Yeah. And there's more. Um, so a lot of the T-pillars have been destroyed. Um, there's still a lot of excavations that need to be done. Um, I know it might even be older if they can get down further and and, and see what's down there, too. So, All right, so Easter Island. <laughs> Easter Island is, um, this is one we've talked about a ton, right? I mean, we've done, we did a three-part series on it. Uh, I went into the whole Easter Island thing thinking it was very mysterious, which I still think there is actually a lot of mystery with this site compared to some of the other sites that, uh, you know, we have definitely looked into. So Easter Island to me, um, again, I always go back to my first thoughts on it from like a mystery standpoint is seeing those pink floyd uh division bell t-shirts back in right. the day or which i don't even think it's from the easter island but it's definitely reminiscent yeah it. i think they're like caricaturized moai right. statues or something like that yeah uh but just the idea of it you know and and that being what it is and you know you we think about it most people think about oh those heads on that island but they're not just heads they're full body too some of the some of the ones that look like they're just heads have been submerged under soil and uh, mm-hmm. layers. Um, let's see here. Okay, so the Moai, which are the statues found on Easter Island, represent the deified ancestors of the Rapa Nui people. It is said that the dead ancestors have a symbolic relationship with the living and would assist them uh, with the things that they would need in life. So 
the dead ancestors are symbolically helping the the living um, and and for resources and things that they need in this world. Uh, it says in return they would secure themselves a better place in the spirit realm. Almost all the Moai faced inwards to observe their descendants while keeping their backs to the spirit realm. Uh, the Ahu, which are the platforms that the Moai stand on, um, you know, most of them are found along the coast. And out of the 313 of them, only 125 actually held Moai. So the Ahu is like the altar kind of a thing. And out of the 313, there are only 120 of them have ever had Moai on them. Let's see here. Okay, so Ahu Akivi features the only seven Moai that face outward. Uh, these seven Moai represent King Hotu Matua's seven scouts. As the legend goes, Haumaka uh, had a dream of an island that he called the center of the earth. When he woke from his dream, he told King Hotu Matua of this mythical land. King Hotu Matua sent his seven scouts from Hiva. Uh, which is possibly modern-day Marquesas Islands, to find the island. The seven scouts found the island and then returned to Hiva to bring the king back to his new home on Easter Island. Um, some mainstream archaeologists date Easter Island from roughly 300 to 1200 A.D., so that's kind of a big gap. Uh, some even date it later, Um so when you look at the dating of Easter Island, there is a lot of discrepancies and it's kind of always changing, even among academics and scholars. I know when we first started, we did a series on it or looking into it. There's been like five new discoveries since then that keep altering the, uh, the timeline and sliding back and forth. Um, again, the mainstream puts it between three to 1200 AD. Um, some of the alternative people, push it way back i mean i think robert shock even pushes it back to like younger dryas where he has the solar induced dark age theory with which has to do with the plasma discharge and uh, our sun cycles and uh wreaking havoc on the earth uh ending the end of the uh, last ice age so which is a long time ago um but in terms of yeah so mainstream has it between tw uh 300 to 1200 a.d um well, let's see here. So there is some evidence for it, you know, there being some weird things and abnormalities and stuff like that. And uh, the dating could be off and, and some of the techniques and stone used at certain points or is completely different than other points, that kind of a thing. I know uh, we've talked about Thor Heyerdahl's work and Kontiki and the idea that you can just build a raft using local stuff you know, local natural stuff on the, the beaches of Chile and make a raft and then float all the way to Easter Island or French Polynesia. Um, and there's even that documentary that was made called Contiki about that. Um, but also Thor Heyerdahl put together this idea that possibly even um, South Americans have been going back and forth as well. And they have actually recently found pre-Columbian South American DNA uh, in some of the people. So that's kind of interesting. Um, and then we'll, we'll get into here. So here's Ahu Akivi, which I mentioned in the mythology. These are the only seven Moai that face outward on the Island. The rest of them face inward. That's a beautiful shot.
Here's another picture of Ahu Akivi. So I would say that this Ahu Akivi, these seven scouts, are probably the most consistent moa, looking moai out of all of them in terms of they kind of have a uniform look to them in regards to like what the rest of them look like. Some of them are falling apart. Some of them have pukaus, which are those like um, those top knot red looking hat things. Um, okay. So <clears throat> here's kind of some other mythology. So Hanu, Hanu Epe, the long ears possibly of Peruvian or South American uh, descent were defeated by the Hanau Momoko, uh, or yeah, Momoko, or the short ears, uh, of which are Polynesian descent. And it is believed a great battle was fought sometime between the 16th and the 18th centuries, where the Hanau Epe were wiped out by the Hanau Momoko, as the legend goes. There you can just see three different types of Moai. You have the kneeling Moai, I think it's Tukturi is the name of that one. In the middle, you have a basalt moai, which um, Robert Schock would point to, that there's no basalt quarry on Easter Island. So where did they get the basalt to carve some of the earliest moai? And then you have the ones with the uh, red scoria top-knot hats there on the right. Here's just a diagram of like a basic setup of one of these moai on an ahu. So this is ahu to high. Um, the inserts... Um, or the eye, the uh, inset eyes are made from coral. I think they redid that one to make it look like how it used to look, uh, but that would have been made from coral, the, the white eyes. Uh, the body is made from volcanic tuff, um, which is found at Ranu Raku. Uh, the top knot, or pukau, is made from red scoria. Um, and then the ahu, ahu or the altar, uh, which is underneath it, which you can see it standing on. There's actually a decent documentary for like people that are into alternative stuff. It's called BAM or Builders of um, Ancient Mysteries and it's on Amazon Prime and they go into, you know, like how did they get that heavy, heavy hat on the on the top of that that moai, you know, would they they almost showed like like I guess the explanation on the island they have a diagram and it shows like almost like a like how they think they built the pyramids which is like a ramp you know and then they just like rolled this thing up the ramp but there's nobody's ever really looked into it or whatever and actually they don't know exactly how these moai got moved into place either there's different theories there's a couple of archaeologists that did this thing where they they put ropes on each side of the top of the head and then they like wiggled it you know or like made it waddle back and forth because the Mythology says that the Moai walked into place where they are now. So that's the idea when you see them pulling the ropes back and forth. It looks like the Moai is kind of walking, you know, kind of a thing. So I guess that would be the most uh, logical explanation for that at this point. But yeah, these are heavy and they don't know exactly how they got there. Here's just a cool picture. This is Ahu Tangariki and that's nighttime. I don't know if that's a real picture. That might be altered. What Some of these shots are amazing. What do you think, Mr. Photographer? Can you even get the moon there? Probably not. Well, remember I'm a I'm a couple seconds in delay with the with the photos. Uh oh. Yeah, that's uh <clears throat> that's definitely doctored. 
<laughs> yeah, usually it's hard to expose. I don't even know if that's if any of that's real, but it's cool. Yeah. Here's a real picture of Ahu Tangariki. I think there's 13 um, Moai there set up, and some of them are taller, some of them are shorter, some of them are cracked a little bit. I think this is the largest platform with the most Moai on them out of all of them. Here, you again, you can see these top knots or pukaos. Again, they're, it's made out of red scoria. Heavy, they don't know exactly how, but supposedly they built ramps and then rolled them up to the top. I don't know if I believe that. What? Yeah, what, what's, what are the ramps made out of? Why are there no ramps? Other stones, yeah, and I don't know. And then it would still, like, even if you said, oh, well, maybe they used the ramp material to then build the, the ahu. Well, the ahu was already there because the moai are standing on them. So I don't right. know, what, what would they have done with the extra stone? I don't know. I don't know. That's interesting too, because if it was me, I would have just made the hat out of the the stone that the, the Ahu are constructed from. Yeah, but I think it's symbolic of That's, maybe well, that, yeah, hairstyles, yeah, yeah. or maybe they colored, or you know, who knows? Yeah, it would be cool to see these things back in the prime. Yeah, I mean, it could have been traditional too, like they colored their hair a certain color, or maybe it's like a material, you know, kind of a thing. I mean, I don't know. Uh -huh. <clears throat> there, you can kind of see an older. A little bit of a decimated Moai. Again, that's that same Moai we went before. This picture, if again, <laughs> it looks like uh, this thing's getting beamed up, uh, Scotty. Scotty. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it's uh, that's kind of a cool picture. These are all awesome. This one you can kind of see some of the walls around um, the Ahu. So those ones look a little bit, you know, different in terms of like they're made from like a bunch of small stones, almost like um, uh, Cyclopean masonry, but not with like smaller stones or something like that kind of a thing. Um, kind of like a seawall-ish vibe to it as well. This is a Rongo village. Um, so this would have been like the main hub uh, back in the day. And you can see they kind of go down. Like I think those are like windows. Like it goes down once you go into these enclosures. Here's another one. The outside kind of has like a... Uh, what are those called? Like Viking long, um, long hut or something. I forget what they call the Viking uh, buildings. That kind of has that kind of a vibe to it, just made out of stone. There you can see down into one, it goes down a little bit so that when you see like those things, they're almost like windows towards the top, those uh, openings. So here you have, okay, so the island does have um, natural, like, volcanic tunnels or, like, tunneling from, you know, the vol uh, volcanoes back in the day. Uh, so there is t volcanic tubing and stuff like that that runs throughout the island. There's also, like, underwater, like, water sources and stuff like that, too. 
Uh, this is looking down into one of these caves that you can see kind of like the barriers on the outside. There's different theories about what happened um, to the people, the Rapa Nui people, why there was such a um, dramatic change in their populations at different points and lots of different theories. You can go back and watch our Easter Island uh, episodes. I don't know what episode numbers they are, but we did three parts. It's a three-part series. One of them's mainstream, one of them's alternative, and then we do kind of like a recap uh, for the third one. But uh, one of the main theories is that there's these two different, you know, tribes or two different ways of uh, living. And when the resources got scarce, you had, you know, people trying to defend themselves by building these enclosures and these caves and, and protecting themselves that way. Um, there's also some suggestions of cannibalism and there's like a, it's called a cannibal cave, I think, or something like that, where there's clearly depictions of that kind of stuff, uh, happening there. Um, and well, if they I, ran out of food, they, they probably had to turn. Well, to I mean, but you know, I don't know exactly again, how accurate, cause there's always these new theories popping up with Easter Island. It's this thing where it's like, Oh, the Moai, you know, like there's a couple months ago they came out and said, Oh, the Moai, are markers for natural resources like water or, you know, stuff like that. And then there's, you know, Oh, the, you know, the Moai, you know, everything was deforestation. So like the main academic one, I think that they point to is that would be just deforestation. So initially when the Rapa Nui people got to Easter Island, they brought, you know, pigs and dogs and, you know, food to plant and everything. Um, and they were going to cultivate the land and everything, but they also, mistakenly maybe not mistakenly brought rats and the rats ate all the uh, palm nuts from the palm trees and if you get enough rats and they keep multiplying and they keep eating all the uh, palm nuts you're not going to have any more trees and then they're using all the trees because they're using um, to get these to move around these moai so they're not they're cutting down all the trees for fire for whatever they're using it for and then you deforest the island. And that's, if you look, there's some speculate that Easter Island's a lot older than they say because of the moai that are around Ranu Raraku. There, you can just see the heads popping up, which is, again, you see like Pink Floyd stuff and a lot of the pictures that people know Easter Island uh, for. Uh, but really, those go all the way down, and those moai have full bodies. And people will point to that and say, look, how many layers of sediment are on top of the moai? Um, that must be mean it's like a, a lot, lot older, but mm -hmm. mainstream academics say are saying that when they cut down all the trees and deforested the Island and nothing was growing back, well, then it opened it up for like landslides and changing in temperature and just the being in the middle of the sea with the winds and everything that it kind of just, you know, there could have been like mudslides or different things at different points, kind of like something like that. So again, it could have all started with rats. And that could have been the downfall. They could have, it could have been the downfall the second that they arrived, which is crazy. Yeah. To quote Frank Zappa, hot rats. <laughs> um, so here's another view of one of these caves, uh, that people were inhabiting back then. Now, if you listen to like, uh, a, a Dr. Robert shock, um, He's got that book, Forgotten Civilization, where he talks about a solar-induced dark age and like the um, 
the solar flares um, at the end of the Younger Dryas. He's suggesting that people would have gone down into these caves kind of a thing, and it would have protected them from some of the um, UV, and there would have been like crazy lightning storms all the time kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Here's uh, just some more depictions. Actually, these look very similar to some of the Rongo Rongo figures, which is the Rongo Rongo script is the Rapa Nui or ancient Easter Island um, writing system or, um, yeah, glyphs. Here's uh, some more depictions in some of the rocks on the coast. It actually kind of... uh, Kind of got a, like a creepy vibe to it, even though it looks like the ones. Well, it looks like the one figure smiling, but it almost. Um, yeah, it's it's eerie. Yeah, it almost looks like the creature from Pan's Labyrinth. Um, here again, you have some of the uh, figures carved in the rocks. You have a lot of birds-looking stuff, and you actually, I have a slide coming up in a minute, but um, one of, um. Dr. Shock's other theories is that there's some similarities between Gobekli Tepe and uh, Easter Island. I just personally, I don't think, and he's been on the island. I think he even got married on the island, so he's been there a million times. He knows the island really well. I just, that's a big, big, um, that's just a big difference in time to go from like, 300 or 1200 AD to 12 to 9600 BC. That's just a big jump. I don't know. It might be too big for me to even consider. Yeah. So here's partly the other stuff that's found. So this is part of what Robert Schock puts forth also in his book. And this is in combination with Dr. Anthony Peratt, who, uh, um, I think he worked at Los Alamos Labs as a plasma physicist. And the, on the top left, you see that uh, that plasma discharge, and it looks very similar to a lot of the um, petroglyphs and carvings and a lot of the rocks that depict kind of like a stick figure found throughout the world. You can see one from Arizona, Armenia, uh, Guyana, Spain, United Arab Emirates, Italy. And then you can see a few there. I think that one on the right's from Hawaii, um, if I'm not mistaken. And then you see the other ones there below. So it's kind of interesting. So this would all go into that, um, the solar flare idea that uh, Earth was getting bombarded at some point with all this um, radiation and it would have been very uh, inhospitable to live on planet Earth. Yeah. So the basalt moai. So you can find some of these, I think, at one of the uh, British museums. I think the one in London, maybe. Um, evidence. How'd they, how'd they get that thing out of there? Yeah. I th- oh, well, there's a dispute, I guess. Um, the the cool. museum saying that they were giving it as a gift, but the people from the Rapa Nui representative or the people from Easter Island are saying, no, this is ours. You should give it back. Um, I'm, I'm in the boat that you should give it back. I mean, I don't know what, what they had set up, you know, whatever the deal was, but if somebody from a culture is saying, this is ours is part of our heritage, please give it back. I 
think you should give it back. Um, right. take, take as many pictures or scan it, you know, do whatever you got to do. But, um, yeah, I mean, you can make a, you can make a replica, you know, you don't yeah, have to. Yeah. Make a replica. Then they do crazy stuff with like lasers. Now I know, um, when I used to, when I was working at guitar center a long time ago, in my early twenties, they were just starting to use this laser technology where they would take an original 59 or 58 Les Paul and then scan it through this machine and they would get every little like nook and cranny and crevices and replicate it. And like we had people come in that played some of the originals and like, yeah, this is pretty good, you know? So mm-hmm. I know it's even a lot better now. So you could definitely do that with a statue, I would think. Um, evidence shows the earliest Moai were um, carved from hard basalt. Uh, no basalt quarries have been found on Easter Island, according to Dr. Robert Chalk. Uh, during the dive or during a dive off the coast of Easter Island in the 70s, Jacques Cousteau found slots cut out of hard stone, which may have been the missing basalt quarry. So that's what Robert Schock points to is like, look, when those sea levels were lower pre Younger Dryas or whatever, uh, these people would have been able to access these basalt quarries um, that are underwater now that couldn't have been accessed at that point, something like that. Yeah, that's sweet. Uh, Dr. Robert Schock also suggests an older date of construction before the rising sea. Again, I just mentioned that during the Younger Dryas era due to coronal mass ejections. So this is what he also points to. I don't know. Initially, I'm like, oh, that looks kind of similar, you know, when I first started looking into this stuff. But the more I look into it, the hands, you know, and and the feet look different. It's just, I think it's, even though it looks, I guess, kind of similar in some ways, it's not really the same thing in my opinion. Uh, But yeah, you see the birds, um, uh, the Easter Island uh, Moai. that's, That's the back of a Moai those birds are carved on. And then on the right, you have uh, Gobekli Tepe Pillar 43 or the Vulture Stone. And he's saying that those are similar. And again, I mean, maybe the longer beak, you know, maybe the eye a little bit. Yeah, it's the, it's, it's it's a stretch. but It is a stretch. Um, And, you know, the... Um, the East Easter Island transitioned at some point. It used to be the Moai cult that was building everything. And then at some point they transitioned to the Birdman cult or the Tengu, Tengatu, Matu or something like that. And Make Make is their god, this bird uh, god. And they would have this competition where they would uh, swim to this island right off the coast of the Easter Island to get this, um, this turn's egg in return. And if you brought the egg back intact through shark infested waters um, and climbed up this cliff and returned it, you would become, you know, the, the top bird man. Yeah. Um, here is a picture of Rongo Rongo script. Um, supposedly nobody's ever figured out how this works or what, you know, any of it means. Um, it is obviously a form of writing. It obviously probably means something, but I don't think anybody's, uh, crack the code at this point. There's lots of symbols, symbolism. Some, you know, like I said, some of them look similar to those uh, plasma figures. Some of them look similar to other things found on Easter Island. Here's the Moai that are outside of uh, Ranu Raraku. Like I mentioned, so you can see just the heads poking out. Some people will say, well, look. 
Look at how buried they are. That must have taken thousands of years. There's no way that could be from 1200 AD or 300 AD. Uh-huh. But again, if everything was deforested and there was trees there at some point or near there, and you rip out all the trees and the root systems and you get large amounts of rain and wind and everything from the ocean, which if you look at the Moai and everything, they're super weathered. So, I mean, I don't know. That one I could go back and forth on. Yeah, I could see it being older, but I also could see there being like mudslides or something. Yeah, absolutely. Here is a Moai that's kind of partially carved out of uh, Ranu Raraku, and this is um, volcanic tuff. This is what most of the Moai are carved out of. Um, kind of reminds me of the... Um, the, uh, the obelisk in Aswan, Egypt, that was never fully completed or pulled out of the quarry. Kind of reminds me of that a little bit. And supposedly this would have been a, one of the largest Moai if they would have gotten it out of the quarry. That thing's huge. Again, this one's kind of a different Moai. I believe it's carved out of red scoria, which is what those top knots or pukau are carved out of. I think this one's called Tukturi. Uh, he's a kneeling Moai, and he also has a beard. You can, or like a little like goatee or beard thing on the front. You can kind of see. This is the only Moai that's kneeling, and I don't think they know why. Maybe it's maybe it's some astronomical thing. You know, maybe it's facing a certain star or solstice or something. I don't know. Okay, so this is something I came up with. Um, when we did our Easter Island series, uh, as I mentioned, possibly a lot of people were coming back and forth or a lot more people than previously discussed, um, you know, back and forth, Easter Island and French Polynesia and from South America and all, all over. But, uh, this is a Acacia cabin, uh, you know, found on Easter Island um, many strains of acacia trees and bushes found all over the world contain DMT or dimethyltryptamine. This strain is also found in mainland Chile and South America. Little is known about the specific psychoactive compounds of this specific uh, acacia species, but its leaves have been known to be mixed with tobacco and andenanthera seeds to produce uh, psychoactive hallucinogenic effects. Uh, a shamanic, this is what I was mentioning earlier when we were talking about Gobekli Tepe and all the fox uh, imagery. A, sh- a shamanic fo- uh, fox snout pouch found from around 100 or 1000 AD in South America contained bufotenine, uh, I don't even know how to spell it, uh, uh, BZE, uh, cocaine, DMT, harmine, which harmine would have been the MAO. I, which is what disables the uh, um, the receptors in your gut, which can allow the DMT to take hold, and also mm-hmm. psilocin, which is the is what your body breaks down after you ingest psilocybin. Uh, we know there is a connection between Easter Island and ancient South America. Uh, the ancient South American people, as I mentioned, genetics show that there was some sort of connection between or pre-Columbian between those two places. Um. So, and yeah, so I'm suggesting that maybe some of these psychedelics may have influenced the different cults throughout Easter Island's history. Um, 
you know, some of the interesting imagery or the, the outer work, that kind of stuff. So another thing that I, uh, thought of, I was watching that, um, Hamilton's pharmacopoeia episode on fish inebriation. And there's this thing called ichthyolientoxism. I think that's how you pronounce it. It's also known as hallucinogenic fish inebriation. Uh, This is when certain tropical fish are eaten. They can produce LSD-like effects where people experience visual and auditory hallucinations. There is no known cause as to why this happens, but some theories suggest that the fish might be ingesting microalgae or green algae. Other theories suggest that these coastal fish consume some sort of poisonous corals. Um, When the Rapa Nui... Okay, so part of the theory or things we were talking about is when the Rapa Nui people ran out of resources and things to eat, if they carved down their last tree and they didn't have any more canoes or couldn't make any more canoes, they were stuck on the island. So they were basically stuck at that point. So how would they have found food? Well, you couldn't go tuna fishing or dolphin fishing, you know, off, you know, in a boat. So what would you do? You'd be killing like reef fish and looking for reef stuff, right? So, um, again, this is something that I kind of figured out and came up with just my own little hypothesis. But when the Rapa Nui people ran out of palm wood to build canoes and deep sea fish, they were most likely consuming some of these shallow reef fish. Uh, the hallucinogenic fish to the left, which is found in Hawaii, is known as, and in the Pacific Islands, is known as the chief of ghosts. I mean, right there, that name alone should, if you're familiar with, you know, uh, psychedelics and hallucinogens, that might invoke something. Yeah. Uh, the effects of these fish might be similar to sleep paralysis, although psychedelics usually, or although the psychedelic experience is usually not pleasant. The effects also include dizziness and loss of coordination. Okay. So in terms of so far where we are, what did you think about Easter Island before and what do you think about it now? Well, I didn't know anything about it before. And now I uh <laughs> I know everything now. <laughs> I uh I think it's an amazing place. I'd like to go there, but I don't think there's very much uh Well, I didn't know that these people starved. I didn't know that they were trapped there. Yeah, I mean, they used all their resources. Like I said, the the rats might have eaten all the palm nuts. Also, the other thing is, is then they started eating all the seabirds, and the seabirds are the things that were flying over the island, taking dumps, you know, f- taking dumps filled with other seeds, right? Because that's how some yeah. of that stuff gets spread around. So I think there was like fifty different species of seabirds that used to go there, and then after they deforested and ate everything, there's only a couple seabirds that returned to that area. So that that bird crap that was you know spreading a lot of seeds and plant life and everything was no longer there either so but uh again i don't think there's uh well the basalt stuff is is interesting but if you said that Cousteau found some uh some areas down because you know everything was a lot different back then so maybe they could have access to a lot of the areas that are covered with water now yeah but yeah, there's a lot of mystery still. How did they get the hats on there? And, uh, you know, how did they move them around and stuff like that? But I think everything has a pretty, there is some kind of logical explanation for it. Right. So this is one of the bigger anomalies, which would be this, um, Ahu Vinapu. Um, it's the oldest Ahu 
And as you can see, it's very, um, you know, the blocks look a lot tighter. They look a little bit different. They look, and I'll bring it up here in a second, but similar to Saxewama and like style of like wall, um, like polygonal type of wall. Uh, then you, again, you see these larger, heavier, more megalithic looking blocks used. And this is the most ancient one. So that's why some people point to the South America connection, you know, the Incas and uh, even pre-Incan stuff. Um, again, who knows with all the land bridges and pre-Younger Dryas and people are getting around more, who knows. But um, here's a picture. I'll go back and forth. Here's Saxe Woman. And there's Ahu Vinapu, so you can kind of see. The differences and the similarities. And you got to take into account too that. Uh, again, Easter Island is on an island in the middle of the. Uh, the ocean, so it's going to get a lot more weathering and, and everything, so. Here's a close-up of the polygonal walls of Saxe Woman. So, Sweet. yeah, so that's why we're, we're going to end it here for you folks uh, today. I hope everybody enjoyed that. Uh, like I said, we're going to start getting back in the groove here. I've got a new computer, new setup, feeling good. Flying high. Yeah, no more hopefully... Uh, <laughs> doesn't look like I'm uh, lagging out anymore, which... No, I think everything went pretty smooth today. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, everything's uh, <clears throat> looking up. So, And we're getting close to our 200th episode, which is kind of crazy. Yeah, we'll have to figure out something fun to do for that. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'll am gonna. i figure that out. Maybe we can get a special guest on or something. I don't know. We'll have to figure that out. But, yep, that's pretty much it. That was 4.1. Um, some sites we're going to cover still on, you know, the future parts here, like 4.2, 4.3, you know, we've got Malta, um, ancient Egypt, ancient Sumer, uh, all the European stuff like, uh, Scarabray, uh, Stonehenge. Um, I'm just trying to think new Grange. I mean, that's some of the stuff that we've touched on in the past, but, uh, yeah, we've got a lot more stuff in terms of megalithic structures. I just thought we'd start with those two, and they're probably the two, uh, those two we've talked about the most, other than maybe ancient Egypt. Yeah. Well, that's it. Um, and, uh, yeah, before we get out of here, head on over to patreon.com at patreon.com slash podcast For just $2 a month, you'll get exclusive guest episodes and segments. Um, again, if you're listening to the show and you like it, check it out. We've got a lot of cool stuff on there, exclusive stuff. There's a fan chat. Uh, also, we are trying to do a fan chat Friday night. So if you are a Patreon member who has access to uh, chatting on our Discord channel, come have a conversation with us. And, um, yeah, check us out on Discord. And then one more time, head on over to Indra's Web at indrasweb.org. This is... Uh, the social media platform that we created to connect open minds, to discuss all the stuff that we're talking about here today uh, and other stuff as well. And um, yeah, 
That's it. Also, to make things easier, if you want to find everything in one place, just go to mindescapepodcast.com. I haven't really been plugging our website, uh, but our website has a ton of stuff on there, and I've written a couple blogs recently, so check those out. And that's it. So Very good, sir. Uh, we love everybody. Stay safe out there, and uh, we'll catch you next time. Peace. Peace. Peace.